And if he's appointed the governments that exist, why does he allow evil men to reign? Maybe the simple answer is men want evil men to reign sometimes. You know, God has given us free will, and in free will we can choose to either further our walks and to go deeper with him, or in free will we can choose to reject. And what has happened here is, oh, throughout history, sometimes man has chosen in their free will to place in power someone who is evil. What does the Bible say about this? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. Go ahead and start picking up here in verse 5. They said to him, said to Samuel, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. A little bit of background here. What happened was, is when the Jews came out of Egypt, Moses was their leader. After Moses had passed away, Joshua became their leader. And after Joshua, you have this group of people called the Judges. And these were different people that were raised up in different geological locations and in different times to be able to serve for that area. Maybe the Philistines were coming an issue, so God would raise up a judge to go take care of that. Maybe there was an issue in the southern part. God would raise up a judge. Well, Samuel was the last of the judges. What has happened now is the nation has come to Samuel, and they say in verse 6, We want a king. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all these words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to his men of Israel, every man go to his city. Why does God allow sometimes evil men to reign? It's sometimes because men want evil men to reign. The idea of government is appointed by God. It exists because of God. And the governments that exist are appointed by God. Verse 1. Now, to resist is to resist God. As it says here, it brings judgment on us according to verse 2. So the Bible is telling us this, that if you want to not be unafraid of the authority, verse 3, do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. You don't want a speeding ticket? Don't go over 55. You don't want to spend 30 days in jail for stealing? Make sure you pay for everything you take. You don't want to be executed for murder? Well, then don't murder somebody. This is what it's trying to say right here. And it's trying to tell you, according to verse 5, you must be subject not only because of wrath, not only because of fear. We've all had that fear before. You're driving down the road. All of a sudden, you pass a state trooper or a policeman, and you spend the next half mile looking in your rearview mirror. Are lights going to come on? Are they going to follow me? You know that pit in the feeling stomach 
You can't remember how fast you were driving at the time. Was I going over 55? So you not only do it for wrath, but you also do it for conscience sake. You do what is right because it's right. One time the boys and I were driving someplace, and we were at an intersection, and familiar with good old southern Henry County, it was the intersection of Road 8 and Road B. Road 8 and Road B. I know some of you live near there. There is nothing at the intersection near Road 8 and Road B. So we stopped. We looked left. We looked to the right. We looked to the left. We looked to the right one more time when we go. The boy said, Dad, why did you stop? Well, there's a stop sign. Yeah, but Dad, no one was coming. We still, for conscience sake, stop. You know, living out in the country, a lot of us treat those stop signs in the country as just suggestions, like yields. You know, we kind of just keep on going through. Why is it that we stop and we look for conscience sake, even when nobody is around? Part of the government, too, and part of the government, verses 6 and 7, is taxes. Taxes, in some translations, say tributes. This is paying for your house, paying for your land, paying for people. Also, customs. This can be tolls, indirect taxes. God has ordained government. He has appointed government. He uses government for a reason, and he asks us to obey and to pay. Now, that's what those verses are saying, verses 1 through 7. Now, there's a lot of questions that come up with that, isn't there? A lot of questions. Let's first talk about our individual response to government. Can you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's talk about us and the government, our individual response to this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's go ahead and go in uh, verse 13. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may also put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not yet using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Wow. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're going to come back to that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, please. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving and thanks be made for all men... For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Those are a lot of passages to really chew on. Just one more and you don't have to turn there. Titus 3 says this. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Our personal response to this. First Peter says we're supposed to honor. First Timothy says we're supposed to pray. And Titus 3 says we're supposed to speak evil of no one. I remember when I first got saved, it was back in 93. And Clinton was the president, obviously, in 93. And... Obviously, as you know, in your American history, a lot of things started happening in that administration. Here I am, a young believer, kind of naive on things. And so 
I'm going to church. I, I'm seeing all these, you know, godly men and women that I respect and look up to. And then in the privacy of conversations, I hear all these things being said about the president. And, you know, and I'm thinking through these verses. I don't know my Bible real well, but I'm thinking of these passages in Timothy and Peter and Titus. And, you know, honor all people, pray for all people, speak evil of no one. And it's that time that I found out that certain Christians have an exception clause of those passages when it comes to certain people in the government. And I think that's why honor all people, speak evil of no one, pray for them. Now, it's really easy to stop and say, yeah, but do you know what they're doing? You don't have to go back to Romans 13, but remember, when the Bible was originally written, there were not chapter breaks, verses, etc. This is something that we put in later. So if you're really reading Romans in its entirety, this is how it goes. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. See how it flows right into that? You know why it flows right into that? Because I think a lot of us, if we were asked today, how would you rank the government? And it's not even this administration or any administration, just the government in general. How would you rank it? I think a lot of us would say evil. So if you had to choose government in general, evil or good, I think most of us would probably vote evil. And so what happens is, Paul, through the Spirit, does this great teaching on not letting the evil get the best of you, overcoming evil with good, loving your enemies, vengeance is not yours. And then he goes right into the idea of government. Now, isn't that fascinating? Paul, when he's writing this, the ruler at the time was Nero. And if you've ever read anything about Nero, this man was an awful, despicable man. There are reports that he would take Christians, tie them up as light poles, and set them on fire. And supposedly drive his chariot around. He's the one that really started bringing persecution down on the church. He's the one that Paul is saying pay taxes to. And if you go study out Nero and what he did and what he used that money for. All the despicable things. Awful. Awful. But yet Paul and Peter are saying honor, pray, and speak no evil of that. That's tough. That's really tough. Since we're already in a downer of a mood, let's go to Matthew 17 and let's talk about taxes now. Matthew 17, please. Taxes to whom taxes are due. I remember when Dawn and I built our house. We built our house. We have our house. And, you know, we're we're paying on the mortgage. And I knew it. I mean, I knew this was going to happen, but you kind of forget Get your first property tax bill. I said, well, wait a second. This is going to happen now twice a year? Twice a year I have to pay you for something I'm already paying on or something I already own? And then every year around my birthday, the way the government wishes me a happy birthday, is I buy a little sticker. A cute, it's a cute little sticker. For about 50 bucks. And I get to go put this cute little sticker on my license plate. And that's how they say happy birthday to me every year. For a car that I own, I have to buy a sticker for. 
Dawn would get so frustrated every year when she used to write out checks that, you know, at the bottom for memo, when she would send it into the state, she would put on the bottom, she would just put sticker because she thought she was just buying a sticker. So what does the Bible say about taxes? Matthew 17, verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Look at it from this perspective. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying basically this. If we are the sons of God, why are we paying something to our father? If there was a king, the king doesn't go tax his children. He taxes the strangers out in the land. So he's telling Peter, we are set free from this. But, verse 27, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Don't you just want to scratch verse 27 out? And just say, well, then the sons are free. Verse 26, we're free. We're sons of God. We don't, we don't have to support this awful government. We don't have to do any of this. Not one penny, not one everything. Because I'm a son of God. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. I'm just passing through. But there's verse 27. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first. When you have opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Men, if you want to take that verse literally, you can use fishing for tax purposes. Just tell your wife that's what you're doing. One more passage on, on taxes. Go to Matthew 22, please. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent him to their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, just, I mean, this is a setup question. This is a setup. If Jesus says yes, the Jews are going to be upset. The Jews were a conquered nation at this time. They despised Rome. They despised it. And so this idea of here Jesus saying pay taxes to Rome, well, then Jesus loses his following. Now, if Jesus says don't pay taxes to Rome, what do you think is going to happen? Who are the Herodians going to go report to? Herodians helping follow Herod. Hey, guess what? There's this guy, and he's telling not to pay taxes. Verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to him, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to him, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So putting this all together, God has ordained government. The governments that exist are appointed by God. Why does he allow evil men to reign? Well, sometimes men want evil men to reign. To resist is to resist God. And according to verse 2, it can bring judgment on us. Part of government is taxes, paying the taxes. We're called as believers to honor this system, to pray for this system, and to speak evil of no one. Now, we could just stop the lesson right there, but we're not given both sides of the coin, are we? So does this mean that as believers we're called to blindly follow and accept anything that comes our way, and just say, well, that's what the government says, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Obviously, the answer to that is no. You know, it's interesting. We have this 
term that we use in our government, and it's called the Supreme Court, right? Supreme Court. The highest court in the land. Their word is law, right? See, but as believers, we follow a supreme being, and the supreme being trumps the Supreme Court. And the laws of the land may be the laws of the land, but this is the law that we're called to live by. So are we called to always obey every single thing that happens? Well, you know what? Let's see what the Bible says about that. I'm not going to make you go to all these references because there's a lot, but I want you to go to the first one. Go to Exodus chapter 1, please. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Now, what was happening here in the book of Exodus is that there is a ruler of the Egyptians now that does not remember Joseph. If you remember correctly, Genesis ends with Joseph and his brothers and his father in Egypt. And what has happened, time has gone on. And so now, therefore, the Jews have become slaves. But according to verse 12 of Exodus chapter 1, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So what happened is, is the harsher the Egyptians were on the Jews, the more they flourished. And now all these Jews are just spreading out. They're just reproducing all over. So Egypt has this idea. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. That's the rule of the land right there. That's the rule of the king. Are we called to obey that? Of course not. Of course not. Verse 17, Then the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children of life. Very simply put in verse 17, Do you fear God or do you fear man? And we, do we respect the laws of the Lord? Do we respect the moral code and guideline that He has set up? As the supreme word. Verse 18, So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because of the midwives' fear of God that he provided households for them. You know, this really is kind of the beginning of the pro-life movement. This idea of we're going to take a stand for life, no matter what is said, no matter what happens. See, so often what we run into this is this, and and, and I believe it's the passage in Isaiah about woe to him who calls good evil and calls evil good. And this is what's happening in the society today. The things that are considered evil are now considered good by the standards of society, and the things that are considered good in the eyes of God are now considered evil in the standards of society. And as believers, we're really in the minority now a lot of times of what it really means and what the moral code that we believe God has given us. But if you look at these gals that took this stand, God blessed them. God blessed them for being willing to take a stand for truth and to take a stand for what's right. Now, we could keep giving examples. I'm just going to kind of go through these kind of quickly here. That's one. What about in Joshua chapter 2? You know the story. The spies are going into Jericho. The king of Jericho comes to Rahab and says, send out the spies. Rahab says, I don't know what you're talking about. They left. Hebrews 11 then says she was a woman of faith. What about 1 Samuel 14? The background of 1 Samuel 14 is this. Saul, without even thinking... Just makes this awful rule. They're getting ready to go into battle against the Philistines. So in 1 Samuel 14, Saul says this, Hey, before we go into battle, let's not eat. 
Now, Jonathan, his son, didn't hear that. Jonathan has some honey. He goes and he routes the Philistines. He comes back. There's this great success, and, and basically Saul says, did you eat? And Jonathan says, well, of course I ate. This is kind of paraphrased. And Saul says, I told everybody not to eat, paraphrased. Jonathan says, Dad, that's stupid. Why would we not eat before going into battle? Saul says, that's my rule. Everybody kill Jonathan. Kill Jonathan for eating honey before going into battle because the king said. The people say, no, we're not going to do that. What about in 1 Kings 18? There's this guy by the name of Obadiah that hides a hundred prophets, 50 in a cave, from Jezebel because she was trying to kill him. Or what about Daniel? We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not going to bow down to the fiery furnace. We're not going to do it. Throw us in the furnace. Our God can save us if he chooses. Or Daniel in the lion's den. We all know that story. Hey, you can't pray anymore. You only can pray to the head of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel says, I'm going to pray to my God, and I'm going to pray to my God openly. All examples of where people had to stop and say, do we obey man or do we obey God? Where we had to stop and say, the law of the land is this, but yet this is what the supreme being is saying in his words. So how can we sum this up, I guess, eloquently? Come with me, if you will, to Acts 4. Acts 4. So when is the time that we're allowed to say no? When is the time that we put our foot down and say we're not doing this? Acts 4 and Acts 5 reveals that to us. Acts chapter 4. What has happened here is that there's this lame man that has been healed through Peter and John, or I should say through Obviously, Jesus, using Peter and John. And now this has kind of stirred everybody up because this man was healed in the name of Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership at the time, they did not like this. They wanted this to stop. So, starting in verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name, in the name of Jesus. Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Somebody comes and says, You can't teach or speak the name of Jesus? What are we going to do? I would hope that we would take a stand like they stand and said, you know what? We have to listen to God more than we have to listen to man. We're going to proclaim this name. Acts chapter 5. What happens, though, when they do this? Acts 5. Let's go ahead and start in verse uh, 27. Once again, how they are here before the people, the Sanhedrin. For when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Wow, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What a compliment. I mean, seriously, can you imagine somebody saying that about you? It's like, man, because of you, everybody in Hamler has heard about Jesus. Man, because of you, everybody on your shift at work has now heard the name of Jesus. What a compliment. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now, at this point, there's this man named Gamil that steps up, and he basically says this. He goes, guys, listen, if this is of God, we can't stop it. 
But if it's not of God, it will just kind of fall out on its own. Verse 40, and they agreed with him. When they had been called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Wow. What an example. So what you see is this. You see Romans 13. God has ordained government. He has appointed this. Uh, To resist is to bring judgment upon us because it's resisting God's plan. Part of that is taxes, customs, etc. What is our response? Our response is honor all, pray for all, speak evil of no one. But part of our responsibility is realizing we serve the supreme being. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. This is not our home. We have to remember that. And we need to make sure that we are so blessed. I mean, we are so blessed to live in this country where we can meet freely, openly, proclaim Christ, and take a stand for the truth. What will that look like in five years? I don't know what that will look like. I know what the Bible teaches me about what the end times will look like. And it doesn't look really good. 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 3 says this, But know this, that in last times perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Boy, you see that, don't you? And it's just fascinating how we think that the system is going to be fixed by a man. You know, this is why Jesus returns. You know, about a year from now, there's going to be an election coming up. And there's going to be two distinct people picked by their respective parties. And one group is going to say, my person's the best person to help this country, fix this country, and your person is just the living example of the Antichrist. The other party is going to say, no, my person is the best person to fix this country and to help this country. And your representative is the living picture of the Antichrist. And then we're going to vote on these two sinful people to lead a sinful nation. And this is why Jesus eventually says, I have to come back and clean house and fix this. And this is why it's so important to pray for good, godly leaders. And to pray for good, godly men and women to step up and to say, we want to morally do what is right according to the code of the Bible and what is true and what is right. That's why it's so important to pray for that. Once again, we live in this nation where we do have the right to be able to express our thoughts, our opinions, and also vote. And that's something that we can rightfully use to do that. But ultimately, ultimately, perilous times are coming. A falling away is coming. We're going through 2 Thessalonians on Wednesday nights. And as we're talking about end times, we see this playing out in front of us. And the Bible says that these words are actually supposed to comfort us. And if you weren't with us last Wednesday, I encourage you to get a chance to listen to that. Because so often in this situation, it's easy to let fear get the best of us. It's easy to let anger get the best of us. And all of a sudden, 
the passion becomes speaking evil of people, when really the Lord says, pray, honor, speak evil of no one, and look high because your redemption draws near. And we have to remember that the concept of a country, of a nation, no matter what country or nation that is, for us it's America or maybe it's Canada or what have you, that country does not go into eternity. America does not go into eternity, but you know what? Americans go into eternity. And our focus needs to be on saying to the Americans, there are truth. There is truth, I should say. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And let me speak to you the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And we want to be in the business of saving Americans. Because perilous times are coming. End times are coming. And it's going to be tougher and tougher to take a stand for the truth. We're already in the minority on many, many, if not all, moral issues. We're looked down upon. We're looked down upon as strange, as archaic, as old, as whatever. But really what it comes down to is this is really separating, if you will, in some ways, the wheat from the tares. To say, where are we going to set our beliefs on? What is going to be our moral foundation? Is it going to be the biblical code that God gave us that we believe is holy and inspired through the Holy Spirit that tells us what is right and tells us what is wrong? Or are we going to get caught up into what man once. Once again, why does he allow evil men to reign? Because sometimes men want evil men to reign. There is a supreme being that we follow. There's a supreme being that we're obedient to. And so as we read through Romans 13, yes, I get this, I understand this, and I don't disagree with it. I understand the honor all, pray for all, speak evil of no one. I get what Jesus said in Matthew 17 and Matthew 22 about the taxes. I get that. But I also do understand Acts 4 and Acts 5, uh, that we must obey God rather than men. Are there consequences to that? You bet. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace, miraculously saved. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, miraculously saved. John the Baptist spoke up and spoke evil of the rulers, saying, I shouldn't say spoke evil, excuse me, called out the evil of the rulers. And he lost his head. There are times where the Lord simply ordains and just steps in, and there is the miraculous saving. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel in the fire, Daniel in the lion's den, or in Acts 4. But there's also times, too, where men suffer for taking a stand for the truth. John the Baptist. Acts 5, as we just read, they were beaten severely for preaching the name of Jesus. And what did they do? They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Mark, if we come forward here for the final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we just take these words, we want to do exactly what your word says.